and welcome to the Digiday Podcast. My name is Kaylee Barber. I'm the media editor at Digiday. And I'm Tim Peterson, senior media editor at Digiday. All right, Tim, you had the interview this week, um, and you got to speak with Daisy Oje Dominguez, who is the chief people officer at Vice Media Group. Um, I know Vice has been pretty active in their DEI efforts. Um, they've been pretty vocal about some of the initiatives they've been taking in that area. But I guess I'm curious, did Daisy talk at all about their like 2022 strategy or any new initiatives um, from a DEI perspective um, starting this coming year? Yeah, so um, Vice started returning to the office and I believe Daisy said October. And so um, what she's you know looking at is initiatives related to in-office diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, and so Vice last year rolled out this DEI dashboard, which um, allows all employees to track the various DEI initiatives underway at the company. Um, and so she talked about how you know they're planning to add more in-office type uh, initiatives um, going into 2022. Oh, cool! And so since they are, they've already started their return to office, which I think is relatively early in the grand scheme of, I guess, media companies. Um, did she have any kind of like? nuanced steps that she took to help make that transition easy? Or did she talk about anything that kind of like stands out um, in their return to office plan? Yeah, she talks about how for her team, like they're scheduling the in-person meetings for Tuesdays and Thursdays, just as a way to like have days that are kind of set for people to like be in attendance at the meetings, but how they're also still being flexible on that. Um, because, you know, people can still have things come up on, you know, the personal side where, you know, they just can't actually make it into the office on those days or they just have so much work. Um, I think she even mentions like recently having a day where she just had so many calls and so much you know work to do that actually carving out time for a commute um, wasn't really feasible. And so um, as much as they've you know started to return to the office, they're still very much like a lot of other media companies um, trying to be flexible about it and figure out like what the uh, kind of formal office return should look like. Well, that sounds really interesting. I'm very excited to hear this conversation and I will let you take it away. Thanks, cool. Tim. Thanks, Kelly. Daisy Oje Dominguez, welcome to the Digiday Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me, Tim. Thrilled to be here. Thrilled to have you here because you are in a position that's been a very busy and active position in the past year and a half years. The Chief People Officer at Vice Media Group. That is a role that has had plenty of work to do um, since March of 2020, before then as well, but especially since March of 2020. And you joined in May of 2020. So you've been really like thrown right into it. Um, one of the you know reasons that I wanted to have you on the podcast is the DNI dashboard that Vice Media Group has put together. That's something where I remember, you know, earlier this year talking to employees in the media industry about their company's DNI efforts and how they felt about them and what a few of them actually said was how they felt like their companies haven't done enough in terms of providing transparency to them. And in those cases, like I mentioned, oh, you mean you want things like Vice's, you know, DNI dashboard? And they weren't aware of it. As I'm on the call with them, they look up the DNI dashboard and they're just like, yeah, that's exactly the kind of thing. So before we even get into like how the DNI dashboard came to be, can you just kind of describe what it is for anyone in the 
who's listening who's not familiar? Sure. Um, the DEI dashboard that we created at Vice is essentially, you know, I mean, it's the it's the prototypical definition of a dashboard. It lists our strategic pillars and then it distills into three to four, five, depending on how many projects we are delivering against each of those pillars. So it's essentially meant to create shared understanding across the organization of who we are as a company. It's got a, an introductory page that walks you through our, you know, what most companies would call a DEI statement. For us, it really is, you know, who we are as a company and why diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, why this work is important to what we do and how we do it. And most importantly, to our people. And then the next set of pages are walking through the priorities that we've set out as an organization. And then after each project, think of it as an asana, if you will. It really is, it's, we, we built it off of a project management app. Um, cause, you know, this wasn't, this was a bit of a prototype that we tested out and became you know, really successful quickly. But think of it as a project management app, whereas you list the project, you list what it's doing. We include links to documents. And, um, and other data and KPIs and metrics so that you can see what, how it's progressing. And then there's an owner next to each of the initiatives. So you can clearly, if you have a question about any of these, you know who's responsible. It, it not only creates transparency around accountability, but it also creates connectivity that can galvanize other employees that are interested in any of those particular projects. Oh, here's the person I should be talking to. And the best part is that while I lead our people, culture and impact team, the owners are not always people, culture, and impact team members. The owners are also folks from across the business that are helping to contribute to this work. So that we're really keen on making sure that this is seen as a shared responsibility and not something that only HR runs, if you will. And this is something that is open to all employees at Vice Media Group. Every single employee gets access to it. And some of my biggest moments of joy is when we have a new employee who's asking me about our DEI strategy. And in addition to sending them to our external link, which they should have already seen during the recruiting process, because our recruiters make sure that you do, I send them a link to our DEI dashboard and I, I give them a bit of a brief and I say, take a look at that and then let me know what else you may need. And half of the time they respond, oh, that's so terrific. Thank you. Now I know, I'll let you know if I have any questions. And I rarely get any questions after that. They're, they're well informed and they know where they can, you know, really most of us want to know where we can insert ourselves in this work and what, you know, depending on what's important to you. And the dashboard does that for you in a really transparent way. As I kind of you know, mentioned, the DNI dashboard, it feels like a, a pretty rare thing in the industry. Like, I'm not aware of any other examples of, you know, companies doing something like this. And I mentioned, you know, the other employees that I've talked to about this. How did the idea to create this come about? You know, funny enough, I was thinking about it in the most traditional of ways. So most companies have dashboards, but when you think about them, th these are standard traditional dashboards that are defined by, let's say, line of business, leader, and you know, then when I was at Google, we had, we didn't call them dashboards, but we had reports for all of our leaders that they would see at the end of the quarter and it would show their representation. It would show the events and programs, the programmatic pieces around DEI, and it would identify through a red, green, and yellow, where were the areas that they needed to work on. That was really helpful in terms of engaging leaders, but what was missing was the connection with the rest of the organization. So when I came to Vice, I wanted to build something that was for both, that was going to lean on the accountability piece. So, hey, leaders, 
you've got to do this work. This is on you, not on the rest of your teams. But that was also going to galvanize and connect employees because very early on in my tenure here, as Nancy and I conducted listening series across the organization, it was clear to me that there was something very different advice that, um, that while a different advice, I don't think it's different in any other companies. And what I mean by that is that we have an employee base that's really engaged and connected and they have a lot of questions and the biggest frustration is that they can't find answers to them. And so as Nancy and I were putting together the, you know, the next steps. I also wanted to not have kind of an old school DNI strategy of like, well, let's tell you all what we're doing on XYZ and then I'll report to you in another six months. Um, I said, I, I asked Nancy, I was like, Nancy, instead of doing this, can we just do something that's a little bit more active and that employees will see? And my initial, I'll, I'll full, in full transparency, my initial recommendation was like, oh, and then we'll just send a monthly report to the whole company. And Nancy was the one who pushed back and said, why does it have to be a report? Can we just create something that everyone has access to? And that's all I needed to hear, Tim. I was like, okay, I'll get back to you. Um, I went back to my team and instantly the brilliant minds on my team um, came up with this, this app prototype and said, well, why don't we do this? It'll be simple. It'll be a simple lift. It'll create access for everyone. And then once we're ready, if we want to build something more complicated, we can do that. And it's worked really nicely for us. And what's simple was that it was easy to develop, easy to design, and we had buy-in from our CEO from the very beginning. With that, like you mentioned how you know an employee can go on there and see, you know, track the progress of various initiatives. Who decides like what initiatives get put on there and at what point like maybe an initiative is completed and it gets pulled off and whether new initiatives get added to it? It's a great question. Um, so right now it's me and my team. <laughs> so, um, but we have an internal DEI board. Um, it's actually the DEI and impact board of leaders across all levels of the organization. And they, we meet and we try to meet. We, we've skipped a few times, but we meet on a monthly basis. And part of what I want them to uh, have as a role is more of a governance role with the dashboard. So this year was about just getting us comfortable with what are we doing? How are we doing? And communicating to the organization. And so every month I review it with my team and we review it with the other project owners. Cause like I said earlier, not, not everyone on my team owns it. And then we check in on progress. Is this something that still needs to stay on the dashboard? Or, like we've actually taken a few things off the dashboard. Cause I was like, that's done deal. Some of these areas are still ongoing. Um, and so those pieces remain. Um, I'm trying to think of something that, you know, we did our inclusion, um, our inclusive recruitment process and the process is still ongoing, but the toolkit that we created, we did it. It's done. So we kept that for two, um, for, you know, for two quarters. And after two quarters, we took it out and then we added more pieces on that. So every once in a while, my team is just constantly recalibrating where are these projects? If anything's completed and we can take off, if anything needs to be added, for example, um, our uh, inclusion standard. That's something that we haven't, that we've been talking about, but we haven't built it in fully. That's one that's remains till 2022 because we're still working on that, but it's an ongoing work stream. So we've got some that are ongoing, some that are needed. And frankly, they come up not just through my team, but based on what employees are asking for. If there's something that we hear from, you know, from teams that, and I'm trying to think of something from, for example, Black Plus, which was an initiative that we launched earlier this year. It was an employee initiated initiative. It's 12 businesses that are receiving pro bono marketing, leadership support. I actually just spoke to uh, three of the founders last week. That 
that was something that was not in the original roadmap. It was something that we launched earlier this year. It's owned by the business. That's in our dashboard. And that remains a piece that you know will continue as we continue the program. Got it. And is it something like, especially as you're taking things out of the dashboard, but then, you know, over time, because I imagine this is something you all will hopefully be updating, you know, perpetually. Um, are you going to have some sort of, I guess, like a wiki type thing so that new employees or anyone who like wants to be more active can see what the work has been done in the past so that either they're not repeating things that have already been done or they are recognizing, oh, we did this, you know, six months ago, three years ago, maybe it's time to do it again. I love that. I hadn't thought about that, Tim. I'm going to go back to my team and tell them to, <laughs> to include that. Um, you know, what we've been doing so far with our new team members, and we've had a lot this year because that has been the year for every company, um, is that we, we send them our DEI report. So we do, we, we've done two so far. This year, we also did something different, which was I, I sent out a mid-year DEI report. Um, so that one didn't go on the website because I didn't work through a marketing team to make it all pretty, um, but it was a, <laughs> in full transparency, but it's a two-page DEI update that essentially at the beginning reminded folks, here's what we did last year, just in case you didn't remember. Um, and here's what we've done in the first six months of this year across our four strategic pillars of people, culture, systems, and standards. And so it, it is, I believe in repetition, Tim, and reminding folks of what we've done. And then the final section is like, and here's what's next. Here's what we haven't done. And so it, it was, and we sent this at the beginning of July. So um, for, the, for the second part of the year, we'll be focusing on returning our teams back to workforce, workplaces, performance management with an inclusive lens, all of those pieces. So we told, every, we told everyone where we've been, what we've done, and what we're going to do. And then in January of next year, again, we'll be releasing our next DEI report and it'll be a full year review. And so that, so I think in many ways, our, our wiki, if you will, and our story is being drafted with all of those memory points that I think we have to constantly do. I do firmly believe that we have to constantly remind people, here's what we're doing it. This is why it's been important to us. Here's what we've learned. In my note, I said, here's what the things that we wanted to do, but here's the, you know, then return to offices took over. And so I had to pivot, but we're doing all of our training for return to offices with an inclusive lens. And so here's what it means to manage a hybrid workforce with an inclusive lens. And so that, that, that's how we're constantly wikiing it, if you will. But I like the idea. I'm going to talk to my team to see about uh, how we can create a, a bit of a short memory map of what we've done. Okay. And I like how you teed up one of the questions that I had for you, which was a lot of the focus on D&I last year after the killing of George Floyd was obviously done while companies were remote. And so a lot of the work, I think, had that as the context for it. Um, or, you know, when it comes to, you know, certain things, you just companies weren't taking into account necessarily the in-office context or to what extent there may be in an office context. So as vices returning to offices like what is that inclusion work that you're doing or how does that um factor into the overall dni work that's differently than what may have been done remotely well that's the fun part tim i get to integrate all of this <laughs> so it is it's fully integrated um we just released our hybrid management guide uh, for the organization, we're going to be putting in our website soon. So I, I, I'm happy to uh, send you a note when it when it does. We, um, you know, in typical vice fashion, it's just a beautiful document with really meaningful information. And as part of the tips that we're providing managers, because let's let's face it, you know, managers have been asked 
to lead and do in ways that they've never known before. So while all of us have been in the same boat of how challenging and difficult it is to just experience the workplace, for managers, it has been particularly challenging because these haven't been skills and tools that they've been provided. And and I think it, I find it almost every week people are asking for new management tools. And we knew early in the summer that this was going to be an important piece. So my team had been working on all summer. Um, we launched it in September as part of preparing our teams to come back. We in, in mid-October, on October 18th, we actually brought back teams to our U.S. workplaces. We have had teams coming back to different offices globally, depending on local guidelines. Um, but we wanted to have an event and a, and a tool that would allow managers to start thinking about what does this look like when you are managing hybrid teams. And what we mean by that is, you know, we still have to be thinking inclusively about the fact that you don't see everybody all the time. Now you get to see some people, but you still have some others that are not there. What does that look like? So there's a whole section on inclusive management tips to think about. So all of that is included. When every communication that I send to our teams, and I'm sending another one tomorrow as a, hey, it's been three weeks since we're back in the offices. Here's a few reminders. Some of the boring operational pieces around our tracking app and whatnot. But there's a really important one there on respect and empathy. Because what we're finding is that people are coming back to the offices and we may be falling into bad habits around how to engage and how to connect. And that's it's important to me that we keep on reminding individuals why respect and empathy are needed, which are core elements of feeling a sense of belonging for employees. So every communication that we do, every process that we think about, everything that gets delivered through my teams, but also through the rest of the teams in the organization, there's always an inclusive lens to it. And if it if it, if it doesn't come from my team, is that the only teams that it comes from? Because part of what I'm most excited about, and I, I think that was part of what was already in our in many of our managers' consciousness before, but it we what we launched last year was a process of deeper interrogations for managers about their roles and how their employees respond to them. So I have managers that are asking really deep questions about what is my role as a leader or a manager? What are the aspects of my leadership that create or prevent belonging and growth on my teams? What are my blind spots? Those are the kind of reflection questions that we're pushing. And sometimes it's a matter of it comes from them directly. And sometimes it's just me reminding people you should be asking those questions. And so we do a combination of both. We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor and we'll be right back. Since you mentioned, you know, employees in the U.S. returning to the office, you know, starting last month, is that something where you all are requiring employees to be in the office a certain number of days a week? Well, I'm calling it. No one else has has, uh, has taken me up on my branding because I have boring branding. But I'm calling it the ease back. We're easing back into offices. We've we've returned, but we haven't forced anyone to come back if they don't feel comfortable yet. Because you have to imagine we have a lot of parents of children under 12 who are not vaccinated and are still concerned about being in the offices. Everyone, everyone's life circumstances are different. What we did ask our teams, particularly in the summer, we went through a, a, a full exercise of categorizing all of our employees. You're either mostly in the office, mostly not in the office, or hybrid. As in most companies, and I, I actually think it's fascinating that the percentage of hybrid employees is usually the same across every company that I've that I've surveyed. Around eighty to ninety percent end up being hybrid, right? And that, and we define hybrid as two to three days in the office. That so we created parameters. So there's you know a, an understanding of here's the guardrails, and let's see what works for your teams. And for example, for my team, 
my my team in New York and in LA are coming into offices on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So we started that the, the hybrid teams. I have team members that are mostly remote that could work perfectly well, mostly remote, do not want to come back to the offices, and that is fine. But when we have team meetings, I've asked if you're able to come into the office, it would just be great to see your face because I've never met many of you. Um, and I have to tell you, it's been three weeks. It was the first time that I met most of my team members. It was so much fun. And I just got a, a, a text from someone who said, you know what? I, I wasn't smart in scheduling my meetings tomorrow. I'm in back to backs. I'm not even going to have enough time to commute to the office. Daisy, can I, you know, can I just skip tomorrow and come Thursday? I was like, that's fine. Let's just be mindful because we need to rebuild our muscles around scheduling. And I joked with her, I was like, I did the same thing last Tuesday and I didn't come into the office because I literally did not have time <laughs> to make it into the office. So it's happening. We just have to remember, it's only Tuesdays and Thursdays. It's an opportunity to connect. Um, I'm doing monthly lunches as a way of connecting with us. Other people are trying different things, but we've left it to managers to design um, what's the right schedule. For some folks, they're there every day because they want to be in the office. So, you know, I think come January, we'll have a we'll have more data points because we're also tracking the, you know, how, how people are coming because we have an app that tracks vaccination and all of the right processes in place. Um, once we have a better sense of that, I think that by January, if all goes well, and we really do kick this thing, that we'll start bringing in more team members to the office. God, it's interesting. Our media reporter, Sarah Guaglioni, has been talking to some media companies about their office return plans. And in some cases, they're doing three days a week, but it's Tuesdays through Thursdays. I think part of that is allowing people to work remotely on Mondays and Fridays, because that's probably when they would choose to work remotely also. But I'm also like, she and I were talking about this and kind of came around to the a theory of Oh, is it also Tuesday through Thursday? So then you have members of the team who are actually in the office together um, on those days, as opposed to having this patchwork where some team members aren't in the office on given days. And it seems like that could also then work in from an inclusivity perspective of you want to have all the different members of a team in person because, you know, maybe whatever conversations or meetings are happening that way, you want their voice there. Absolutely, Tim. And, and we spent a lot of time laboring over this. And, and at, the, at the end of the day, we, we gave guidance to managers. You get to choose what works for you. But what we find, and this is the practice that I'm taking with my team, is that it helps when the teams have defined days when they're all there together. Because the whole purpose of what the future of work or the work of the future, is, as some people are calling it, is about the office being hubs for creativity and innovation and connection. So let's use the space for that. And let's not you know, let's not then, you know, say, I was like, you can come on Wednesday and you can come on Thursday and Monday, but we're still still seeing each other through a screen. That takes away from it. Um, so I'm really glad that we took that approach because we've seen the benefits that I have to tell you instantly. My biggest joys, and I sent this weekly note to my team and I, I sent it the week after um, our first week back in the office. It's like, it was joyful for me to see members of my team sitting at a table talking to each other. I actually got into very quickly the habit of like yelling, hey, Megan, I have a question. <laughs> and I don't have to, you know, schedule a meeting with you. I can just ask you right now and go on your screen and you know look for the data point it was the shortcuts were amazing the human connection was amazing and you know and the ability of my more junior team members to experience being in a meeting room with more senior team members you know that modeling is really important that growth is really important um, and so you know as, as part of professional growth as part of inclusion as part of also you know being so separated Tim it's made us grumpy 
It's made us not trust each other. It's made us lose our sense of humanity with each other. And it's much you know, harder to be mad at someone that you're sitting next to and that, you know, you know, you know, had a bad commute this morning and, you know, and just made it into the office versus someone that you just get on a screen and you're just like, you know, you didn't deliver that report yesterday. What's wrong with you? It, it, it's different that I, I'm seeing that happen. And I think we've, you know, I don't think I know we've missed that last year. And that impacts your sense of belonging. That impacts your sense of feeling part of a team. And so I just feel like in the last three weeks, we've just built team cohesion in a way that it, I, we just couldn't in the last month and a year and a half. You know, then there are considerations when it comes to like returning to the office of on the hiring front as well as the pay equity front where like I remember talking to a publishing CEO earlier this year and they were saying like being remote is really helping us when it comes to making our you know workplace more diverse and inclusive because we're able to hire people who maybe we're not able to hire because they don't live in big cities or because their personal, you know, maybe they have kids and it's more affordable for them to live outside of a big city um, and they don't actually want to move back to a big city. Or, But then there's also the challenge of if you're paying the same salary to someone who lives in New York City um, as you are to someone who lives in Buffalo, New York, that money goes different, you know, a different way in Buffalo than it does in Manhattan. How are you thinking about like, Let's start with the the pay equity front because you know Vice did the big pay equity study last year and had done it you know, a couple of years prior to that. But how are you thinking about pay equity in this hybrid work era? You know, I'm, I have to say I'm also incredibly proud of my team. My team is constantly thinking about pay equity. My compensation and benefits team um, and the leader of that team, Henny, is you know her decisioning and by default the decisioning of her team members when they are looking at you know, questions and new um, new compensation models across the organization are always about how does this, how, how, do, how do we perceive this from an equity equitable perspective? If we make this decision, what's the impact that it has on others? And so as a company, we've decided that yes, we could hire individuals in the US and other states, but it has to be in a state where we already have a legal entity. It has to be in a state, you know, it's got, and ideally it's in a state where we have even if they're going to live, you know, at their home, where we at least have some connectivity for individuals, like you know, in LA, in Miami, in DC. So we we prioritize places where we've been. But I have team members in Seattle, and I have team members in in, in Florida. Um, so I, you know, I I'm an example of someone who's hired or has allowed team members to move to those states because of you know life circumstances. But when they have moved, we have done a review of their salary based on local market salaries and. We, what we've managed to do is make sure that we haven't had to do it yet, but if someone's salary needs to be reduced, that is part of the conversation so that, again, they're equitably priced to a peer who's doing the same job in another market. And so those, and those are hard conversations and those are, and it's hard analysis, but, you know, I, I, I have the utmost respect and appreciation for my team because they're constantly looking at it from a fairness perspective. That really is it. They're like, what is fair for this person that's doing this job and this person that's doing this job elsewhere? And, you know, there's some variations from time to time and there's there's fluctuations. But at the end of the day, we were clear on um, what our pay equity guidelines are. And what we did in the past year, which I think I think I may have mentioned to you, is that we launched our job architecture initiative, which was which we didn't have before. So now we actually have clear and consistent job levels across the organization. That is one of the most and, and I I drove my team almost to the ground, I'll say, 
in doing that. We had several delays. We, you know, we, we did it the right way. Um, but I, I was keen on making sure that that was the one initiative that we completed this year that was a rollover from last year because I knew and we've seen it once we had clarity on people's job levels and titles then this argument becomes an argument of fairness and consistency because you know you're a level seven and that means that you're going to be paid like other level sevens at your range and for your and for your job level and so that's that that was a systems change that we needed to do. That was on our dashboard, by the way, um, and and that's been completed. So it's still there. We'll probably you know next year it'll be over. But but it's it was one that had to be done in order for us to. We always had job levels, but it was in the back end. Now it's about transparency. Now every employee knows what their level is. Their managers know what their levels is are, and when they have these conversations with compensation, the conversation is no long. The conversation is no longer about. Well, I really like Mary, and Mary should be getting paid this. The conversation is Mary's a level four, and other level fours in her, in, you know, in, within her market and with her responsibility set make this. So this is what you have to pay Mary. That's a very different conversation. Got it. And then, you know, based on whether someone's a level seven, then you have the conversation about are they a level seven living in New York City or are they a level seven living in Topeka? Mm -hmm. Which is very different, which is which is different. And that and nobody, you know, I think when we talk about pay equity, everyone wants to believe in pay equity, but until it impacts them, right? Until, you know, and so our, our message is always at the end of the day, this is about fairness. And let's just say $70,000 gets you a lot more in Topeka than it gets you in New York City. And so we're, we want to pay you fairly. We want to pay you, but we're not just, we're not just saying that it gets you farther. We're just saying that in your market, if you were doing this job at this level, this is what the, the market would say you get paid. So it's all based on data. It's not just on our, you know, our bias assumptions about what Topeka markets look like. It, it's all based on survey data that my benefits team is constantly reviewing and is constantly updating. And to what extent do you take into account like a person's personal situations, uh, like person who has three kids versus someone who's single versus someone who's not only single, but, you know, moved to live with their parents in upstate New York? We don't take that into account in our decision making. So we, we go by the job requirements, we go by market data and compensation data that's pulled from you know, labor reports throughout. We don't we don't do that because that that frankly, you're right, it can help us. I, I'm assuming where you're going is like it can it can help us determine the unique needs of individuals, but it can also take us into really biased waters very quickly. And so we want to make sure that we are applying very clear and clean principles on decision making there. Right. Yeah. Because, I mean, you mentioned seems like a really hard conversation, especially when you're having a conversation with a person of, OK, well, you know, we got to actually dock your salary now because of your working conditions. Has that led to people leaving the company? Not yet. We, we haven't had to do that for the most part, frankly, where folks have left have left to very similar market level. So we haven't had anything significant. What we have had from a recruiting perspective, you know, and I think that this also a way that you have to manage managers and not gaming the system of like, well, then let's just recruit everyone in this market because they will get paid less. I was like, no, <laughs> I was like, you have to find the best talent for your role. And if this happens to be in a more low priced market, then we'll do that. And then we'll look at holistically their full, also not just their compensation, but their benefits and their setup for working. So it's it's been something that we've been, we haven't had that much of it, but we are collecting data points that I think that as our recruitment volume, I mean, our recruitment volume has been pretty high, but it's been mostly contained to the markets where we are right now. Got it. Okay. And then 
kind of jumping back to the in-office return, but the inclusivity side of it, there's um, like when it comes to mask mandates, vaccination requirements, that seems like it it also is an inclusivity consideration because you may have some employees who may say, I'm only comfortable going back to the office if I know everyone else who's there is vaccinated. You may have others who don't want to get vaccinated either because of their political beliefs or their religious beliefs, or or maybe just they just don't trust vaccines because of that's how they were raised. They, they were just kind of raised to not trust that type of thing. How are you threading that needle? We have a very clear vaccination policy. Everyone, we've we've had it before the OSHA new rules set in, in effect, um, and we we launched them and communicated them well before we started bringing people to offices so that employees could prepare for it. Um, and so essentially, you can only be in the office if you're vaccinated, unless you need a medical or religious accommodation. But if you do not require medical or religious accommodation and you have not been vaccinated, you're not allowed in our offices. Um, right now, we follow local guidelines in the U.S. and New York and uh, in L.A. There are mandates that people must wear masks in the office. And therefore, that is what that is our mandate for for the office. So we 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 really are just fundamentally trying to make sure and we remind everyone this is for your safety and for your health. And so, and, and what we don't want is to create an us versus them mentality of some people can wear masks, some people don't have to wear masks. If you're wearing a mask, does that mean that you can make me sick? And do I, you know, what needs to happen? So a lot of that is, it's, I don't want any of our employees to be mask police and I don't, and, and nor should they be, but we constantly remind our employees, these are the local guidelines until local guidelines change as they do in certain countries. For example, in the UK, the local guidelines have changed and you no longer need to wear a mask in the office. So we're going to change the guidelines there, but that doesn't mean that we change them here because we're still abiding by the New York Heroes Act and the LA County mandate. So it's all about being, man- uh, it's all about what's locally, you know, what local guidance is. We have a policy that's defined it and we communicate it and over communicate it to our teams. And we also equip particularly HR business partners and all of our teams to make sure that there is no bullying happening around these practices. And we can't be in every situation all the time. But what we can do, like I said, I'm sending a reminder tomorrow, is remind people about the importance of respect and empathy in the workplace. And and the fact and what we're reminding them in this note is that incivility will not be permitted and that in some cases it came it may be you know it, it may result in disciplinary action and we need to rem- we need to remind folks of that and and we're happy to do that because doing that creates a sense of safety and protection for those who may feel from a power perspective from a level and you know and you know in the organization that no one is protecting them and we want everybody to feel that they are equally respected and safe in the workplace and imagine like these are things where these can spawn initiatives that then get added to that DNI dashboard that we started off by talking about. It is. And, you know, funny enough, we haven't added any of the vaccine policies or any of those pieces to the DEI dashboard because there's so much, A, they're also shifting significantly, but there's so much around our health and safety protocols that I don't want to, you know, I don't want to start adding everything to DEI so everyone's just like, oh, is that a DEI initiative? I was like, no, actually, it's the other way around. Everything has a DEI lens, but not everything's a DEI initiative, right? Um, everything should be looked at from the lens of diversity, inclusion, equity, empathy, belonging. Um, but not everything has to be lumped under a list of, oh, that's a DEI initiative, because it really is just good management, good teamwork, you know, kindness, humanity, all of these pieces that we should all be naturally good at, but sometimes we all need reminders. 
Right. Eventually, we all just come back to the golden rule. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I believe we are out of time, but thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Really enjoyed speaking with you. Oh, likewise. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a great conversation. Looking forward to more. And thank you for listening to the Digiday Podcast. Please don't forget to share this episode with someone who you think would enjoy it. You can even rate us on Apple Podcasts if you like. And we'll be back next week with another episode.